0: Comes. it's nashville untold with andrew buckwalter the podcast that interviews the most interesting and influential people making an impact
1: on nashville's business charitable and entertainment scenes joining us now from his roving camper studio here's andrew
0: welcome to episode 13 of nashville untold and thank you for
1: tuning in today in the rambler i will be hosting Derek young what I say to people who ask for my opinion or advice and coaching, whether it's executive coaching or just getting a cup of coffee is I just have always been an impact person. You know, um, I haven't been a position person. I haven't been a title person because I feel like when I get face to face with God, he's not going to say, so did you make VP? Right? Hey, did you get that lake home? You know what I'm saying? I feel like he's going to say, what did you do for me like me yes right so so being able to just try to find that next way to positively impact people that's that's yep that's been kind of my path man derek
0: considers himself a subject matter entrepreneur he is full of wisdom and insight and you will want to stay tuned for the entire interview he states you don't really know why you had an experience until you are using the exposure of that experience he dives into how he is using his experiences in his life to better those around him also make sure to tune in for a song at the end by melinda edlin now a word from the local nonprofit of the month
2: hey andrew how are you buddy i'm good i'm good i'm good living a dream (laughs) well there you go Well, I just wanted to call and chat a second, uh, let you give me an update kind of on the gala and uh, Uh what's going on over at uh, Tennessee Voices for Children. Well, we're super excited that the gala is coming up October 20th. It's right around the corner, and it is going to be a party. This year is different than the last two years. The last two years we had a sit-down dinner. This year is, is cocktail, um, it's still black tie, but we're having tabletops, food stations, drink stations, VIP, and the fun thing about it is we're going to have live music throughout the entire evening, along with the VIP rooftop party afterwards. So, will you be so, dancing? Dude. <laughs> I am going to be dancing. <laughs> nice. Uh, nice. Nice. Uh, <laughs> now, be, now, you know what, Tennessee Boys with Children, they do such good work here in the state of Tennessee. I love them to death as a board member, um, I, I, the last four years I've learned a lot of what they've done, and in the last two years so the gala has allowed, you know, money to go to programs for schools, for students, for teachers that help make awareness for mental health and the racist stigma and help kids that need help and provide them with the services. Or provide them direction to the services, but wow. um, and yeah. So the gala is, like I said, October 20th at the beautiful Westin Nashville downtown. So we will have um, discount for rooms and if you want to spend the night there and make a nice weekend evening out of it. It's a fun time. That's good. Discounts will be good with our uh, yeah. with our hotel rates right now, right? <laughs> um, well, that's cool. Yeah. That's, um, I appreciate the. Uh, the little info, and I know there's a lot of different ways for uh, people to get involved, silent auction, and sponsoring different counties, um, and good stuff like that. So. Uh, yeah, and let me give you the website if you want to go, purchase tickets, and uh, look at the gala stuff. Is www.tnvoices.org Tennessee Voices. Uh, check out the website. All the information for the gala is on there. Everything you want to know about Tennessee Voices for Children is on there. And um, and also, reach out to one of us. We're going to answer any questions. I All right. It. Thanks for your time. All right, We'll talk to you next Thank week. you, sir. Okay. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye.
0: Hello, in Nashville. Today, I am sitting down with Derek Young. I met him about a year and a half ago. Yep. And uh, I've, we had to reschedule a couple times, but I finally... Uh, finally pinned you down I was like I'm going to make it happen I I, want to hear his story I I think most people would like it as long as you persist respectfully yeah there's a way to do it right 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 and I'm like hey we're busy people but I want you in the rambler so so a little bit about Derek Derek is a voice of clarity in the new multicultural multi-generational business arena he inspires audiences to transform their results by transforming how they view culture diversity and leadership as a motivational speaker leadership trainer and corporate leader for some of the world's greatest organizations his unique people skills strategies have positively impacted millions of consumers and thousands of employees His 10-year run as a stand-up comedian makes him the ideal choice for conferences, retreats, awards, banquets, and special events where the event planner wants the audience to be energized and entertained so that's a little intro about you I like it and I love the comedian aspect so yeah. I expect to be laughing throughout <laughs> this uh... throughout this interview got to be a fee that's the key <laughs> for comedy I got you, dang it. Well we can do Venmo or something afterwards. All right, right? That's fair enough. fair <laughs> enough fair deal. Alright so I'm gonna ask you a few questions what I call a speed round um, before we dive into the uh... the interview and the story
1: so uh... how long have you lived in Nashville? This is year 20 20- Eight. Twenty-eight. Yeah, moved down here in ninety. In ninety. And where'd you move from and why Nashville? So I was living in Kansas City where I went to college and had worked for a few years and interviewed f- with a nonprofit called En-ROADS. En-ROADS helps high school kids get into college, college kids get into the corporate world. Interview with the Kansas City office and they pick somebody else and uh about a week later the regional vp who was part of the interview process said, hey we got a spot down in nashville would you be interested and i was you know 24 25 okay. single i was like sure why not and been here ever since what year did you say that was 90 90. yeah so you've got to see a lot of change right well, yeah i've seen I, re- I tell people i remember when old hickory was one lane Oh, interesting. Yeah.
0: And did it all connect at some point? Yeah, eventually. I so I remember the one time shortly after we moved here, we're like, "Hey, let's go venture out." And so we like hit on Old Hickory, like on the west side right, of town, right? And we're just cruising, and we're like, "What happened, to Old Hickory?" Hickory well, yeah. where? And I, this was before GPS and stuff. That's exactly right. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah, man. So, um,
1: so what community did you land in, and why that location? So I started out in um, Antioch because that's where, you know, my folks told me the best place to live young person single person but eventually uh, my wife and I moved near my parents-in-law uh, because they were very instrumental in helping us with our kids and very was, smart dude I was doing that <laughs> drive from Antioch to Bordeaux to Bell to Bordeaux to Antioch I did that about four months I was like that's ridiculous right so we moved over by them And um, and I tell anybody I have a lot of love for anybody who has kids but especially anybody who has kids away from family, I don't see how they do it. So you got a lot of love for me, right? That's right, that's where, cause you're from? From uh, Arkansas. Oh yeah. And my wife's
0: parents live in, or mom lives in Georgia. Yeah, that's I wish she would move here. move here. Yeah, you know, so she could be close to the kids. Nothing about babysitting. I know or that's anything, right. No, nope. you know? no, no strings attached. <laughs> but my wife, she's like, well, I don't want to inconvenience people. I'm like, look, we got friends. Let's just ask them. So we we went out um, on a date lunch uh, Friday, and I had one of her friends watch. So. I'm all right to ask. Yeah, but yes, I agree,
1: man. We it... had—I know you got three kids. We have four, and in the early days when they were little, my my thing was you always need one more babysitter than you have kids. Yes, that's sort of my strategy. Right, when I, I was agree. In the back in the day, so.
0: So, um, a favorite musician or genre of music?
1: Okay, so favorite musician, uh, Buddy Rich is my favorite drummer. I played drums back in the day. Stevie Wonder is my favorite entertainer purely. And what was the second one? Um, Or genre. Man, I would have to say gospel now. I was a big jazz dude when I was in high school and college, but over the years, gospel has become number one with me. Gotcha. Good, good music right there. So tell me one thing most people do not know about you. Wow. You know, when you're a speaker, you you say a lot about yourself, but I will say this. It usually catches people off guard when i say i did stand up because i'm somewhat i guess reserved kind of a corporate type dude so when people hear that it's like really like what yeah but right. uh, that's usually the one that gets people yeah
0: yeah i'd agree when i read that i was like oh yeah uh, i mean because you spoke well and i'm sure you had people laughing occasionally but right. you were serious especially right. with which story right. um what's the
1: most exciting place you've visited i tell you what my favorite place had been toronto until my wife and i went to montreal for an anniversary trip, and just the people, oh, my God. So everywhere you go, bonjour, 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 I mean, everywhere, right? Bonjour, bonjour. After about five days, we got so accustomed, bonjour. Then, of course, when we had to fly back in, we had to stop in Philly, Sir, you got to, to put your bag on the cart, right? It was like, oh, man, what, what happened to Bones? You missed that already. But, yeah, Montreal is exquisite, man. I love it. Yeah,
0: yeah, actually, I just got back from Philly. Oh, wow. Went to a podcast uh, conference there. Airport was great because they didn't make me take the shoes off or anything. We just got the zip, zip right there. On there. Yeah. Th- that happened in Atlanta on the way there too. That's pretty rare. It was. Nice. Rare. It, was rare. it was. Is it rare? I thought it was that ironic rare. that it happened twice and I wasn't in the the pre pass. Yeah, you got the gift, my man. Yeah, I guess so. Well, it was everybody, so it wasn't <laughs> just me. All right. So in a few minutes, um, it's funny when I read this. In a few minutes, it means like in a few minutes I'm gonna ask you, but it actually means like in a minute or two. Give me an overview about kind of what you got going on now, um, before we dive
1: into your story. Yep. So. I am what I will call a subject matter entrepreneur. And what I mean by that is my wife and I, we took our subject matter expertise in organizational development, leadership development, and motivation, things we have been doing in our corporate careers for 20, 25 years almost, and really said, we really feel like we can impact more people in a more deep and lasting way if we form our own enterprise, right? And then proactively reach out to clients. So. Now, what I do is corporate culture consulting. Uh, If a company, a division of a company or a department says, we need to change our culture, Not, not tap at it, not knock at it, we really need to change the way we think and behave as an organization, then those are the kind of organizations we partner with. And the beauty is, and this is how I feel God has done me and has done many people, You know, Andrew, sometimes you don't really know why you've had an experience until you're using the exposures of that experience, Mm -hmm. right? So background-wise, being exposed to leadership development, performance management, strategic thinking, sales and service, executive presence, and diversity and inclusion, having all those exposures over about a quarter century, it positions us to very quickly come in and ascertain what's really killing the culture. What are the real keys to repair or improve the culture? And then literally being able to design training and coaching that shapes the way people behave. So uh, that's what we're doing now. We're, we're blessed, man. We get to work with everybody from International Paper to Bass Pro to Belmont University and Mahari because everything we do is about how people behave right Mm -hmm. so that's been really neat and and it keeps it fresh yeah that's pretty cool um because i think back to my
0: history and getting out of college and regretting not being serious and job and this and this and then I look once I got in real estate and I'm like, man, there's so many of those elements, That's plus right. all the people I met That's throughout right. that period, that I'm like, man, this is a perfect fit. Yep. Yet I was always, I guess that was a good thing about never being content. That's good. You know, is that, all right, we got to make a change. And I was willing to jump full force. I like into that. It. And what,
1: so, I, what I say to people who ask for my opinion or advice and coaching, whether it's executive coaching or just getting a cup of coffee, is I just have always been an impact person, you know? I haven't been a position person. I haven't been a title person because I feel like when I get face-to-face with God, he's not going to say, so, did you make VP, right? Hey, did you get that leg mm-hmm. home? You know what I'm saying? I feel like he's going to say, what did you do for me like me? Yes. Right? So being able to just try to find that next way to positively impact people, that's been kind of I love my it. path,
0: man. I love it. And actually, I didn't, I didn't note this, but I sat down with Derek. About a year ago, yep. before, when I was got out of Young Leaders, heard Derek speak, and he was awesome. The story he told, which he'll he'll share later. Um, and then when I was looking at doing the podcast, different elements. You know, Derek was instantly had coffee with me. Actually, a lot quicker to get coffee with you then. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just love the story. But I'm I'm with you, like the impact aspect. That's like just what I told you about, kind of introducing a different element today. Yep. Right. It's about how can I use this to make an impact. Yep. Because like you said, that's uh
1: that's what we want to be that's what I want to be known for. So it's making a difference. No, I I'm I'm doing a big session with a client coming up and the underpinning of it is how do you get people to not look at their job as a job but as a legacy and that I, and I don't care what it is and it, it might be easier to do that if you have something that's a little bit more exotic or maybe you right. make a higher income I get that but you only live once right and then the only thing you control the only thing you control is your own attitude so my thing is I was fortunate to work around people early in my career where I saw that they had a passion for what they did mm-hmm. and then even growing up with my mother as a secretary and my grandmother as a maid they were all about being great right um you know in my mind andrew one of the things that i see in my opinion is we're in a country now man where people are confusing fame and greatness and to me when you go to that job every day you get a chance to be great Regardless of how helpful, how loving, how warm the environment is, so so that's been uh, that's been a real nice thing to help people see. Which I think it's it's interesting
0: too is if you put you know too much stock into someone that's chasing fame, right? Versus what you said, seeing people make a difference as you grew up. When that person fails you, you know you kind of might take a nosedive too. That's a good point because you put your stock into somebody that is. You know that just has a little following that's somebody you know yep that has a signature that's worth a lot of money, I agree, which I always fun funny <laughs> all right, so let's uh first question let's go back to a time when you possibly took your first visit to to the arch, maybe Grant's farm or the magic house during those years, what were some of the influential factors that shaped you from your childhood to your teen
1: years? That's good, man you know I love a good researcher. <laughs> But um, yeah, Grant's Farm, man. If you grew up in St. Louis, where you know where I did, that's just like that's usually kindergarten, first grade. Um, you go. That was my first time seeing goats because growing up, you know, in the mm-hmm. largest housing project in the state, you no, know, nobody had goats in the hood. You know what I'm saying? There's a movie, you know, Cuba Gooding Jr. Goats in the Hood. But anyway, um, but but yeah. So Grant's Farm. The, the thing I remember is teachers who did not let societal racism societal classism dictate how they taught us right they basically said you can do whatever you want to do you can be as good as you want to be um i think first i went to arch was probably like fourth grade and you go up in the arch and i don't know what it's like now because of course now this is like 19 i think know, it's the same this is 60 this is late okay. 60s early 70s right but um, you, you, we'd go up in this little little uh, cart, mm-hmm. and it would just sort of click, click, click. Yeah. Right? That clicking sound. It's like, okay, will I live? Will I make it? But to be young, to see that arch from where I lived, and then to be in it, as a game changer, mm-hmm. man. Right? To really have a perspective of your city at that age coming from where I came from where it was a lot of lack of exposure generally speaking in my neighborhood so the Archman is unforgettable because because that's the first time I had sort of an aerial view of the city and the biggest thing like I said for me was I had a teacher in both the um sixth grade and eighth grade Mary Lou Pearson still my favorite teacher of all time and man she was she was hardcore and even when I speak to audiences now I'll ask them I do a lot of work on how to give hard feedback because it's such a weakness within people. And I'll say, when you think about your favorite teacher, coach, boss, I bet you you don't have one pushover in the group. I bet you don't have one person who lets you slide. I bet you don't have one person in the group who wasn't all about challenging you, right? So she was probably, out of all my teachers, the one who not only challenged me the most, but she's the one who told my mother that I should go to a college prep high school. And I was, I was standing right there because my mother used to do parent-teacher-child night. My mom didn't believe in parent-teacher night because my mom's deal was if he says something crazy, I want to see the look on the teacher's face. And if she says something crazy, I want to see the look on his face. And she told my mother, she said, Miss Young, Derek should really be going to a college prep high school. And she said, what's that? And once she explained it to my mother... That was it, bro. It, it yeah. was a done deal. But going to St. Louis University High School, Jesuit college prep type high school, man, totally changed my trajectory. Mm.
0: You know, it's interesting, as you say, about the exposure. So my dad lived in St. Louis um, for a few years, so I got to see Grant's Farm Arts and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Loved it. Magic House. Yeah, man. Um, and actually, he worked at Anheuser-Busch, so we got to do a, oh, a wow. tour the there. brewery tour. The brewery tour. The Clasdales. Yeah. Stunt. Yeah, No Clydesdales were at Grant's Farm. I guess, are they still there, I wonder? They were then. Possibly.
1: And the zoo was really cool back then, too. I will say this. For years, I heard the San Diego Zoo was the bomb.com. I've been to it twice. I went once and was like, "Really? St. Louis blows it away." I went back again to make sure I wasn't just hating on right, San Diego. Right. I've been I probably been to 15 zoos around the country. I hadn't seen one that be St. Louis.
0: But I uh, the back to the exposure. I think that would be an interesting thing in schools on both sides. People that are stuck over in this group to go and experience a different culture because as I interview people and and you know, a lot of musicians. You know, they get out into culture and experience yep. different people, and and the same. You know, if both were to experience both individual worlds, if sure. that's making sense, that makes total you know? sense. Like it would totally just open your eyes because when you are stuck on an island by yourself, you know, it's like you have no perspective on what's going on around you. You know, you know
1: I'm gonna say something, man. If if I had any strength as a kid growing up. I I don't, and I can't, well, I think, again, I know why. I think the Lord gave me this for what I do now. You know how people will make a statement like, uh, I thought everybody grew up in the Air Force. I thought everybody had two parents. Like, what, like, what, what world are you living in? What, what newspaper, book, Internet do you not have access to? Right. But I think your point is, we can be so caught up in what our worldview is that we don't even we don't even recognize differences so to Mm -hmm. your point if school experiences could be much more intentional around helping people see how somebody else lives i agree i think it would i think it would not only open people up but one of the things i used to try to share with the comics who were new comics when they would ask my opinion i would say if you want to be funny the first thing you got to do is the opposite of what you would think it's very counterintuitive and that is you have to forget about yourself Mm. and I think like you said, with musicians and people who do get to see various cultures I think it kinda helps you not take yourself so serious Mm -hmm. you know
0: right I totally agree so you and Paul the Apostle are hanging out one evening at the top of the arch sharing stories what are some of the life-changing moments from age 20 um, and on you would make sure to share with Paul?
1: Well, you know, again, you did your research, and if I could interview, like, you know, that age if you could interview anybody from history, first would be my grandfather. I never met my grandfather. He died in the 50s before I was born, so he'd be the first person. But after him, it would be Paul the Apostle. And, um, you know, you might you might say, I don't know if that D.Y. is a Christian or not, but that, that old Paul, you, you're going to gonna kind of be hard-pressed to disagree with Right, that, Right, right. But I would really not want to say much of anything except ask him a bunch of questions. And I, my first question is, how did you do it, man? Mm-hmm. How did you? I, I mean, I know he wrote what he, how he did it, but I wanna, I would want to ask him, how did you pull on Christ so strongly to be the model that most of us look to? That would be my main thing. I, I really wouldn't have much to say, right. At all, right. um, just. To say that thanks to learning about him, when I first became affiliated with just Christianity in general, because I didn't grow up that way, when I heard his story, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. So this dude was planning strategically and regularly to persecute, help to murder, Mm -hmm. help to hunt down believers and now he's that dude that most of us rely on for most of our new testament learning. Yeah, I, I, I he he he's he's my guy. And then if I could Martin Luther King of course would be the other one if I could interview somebody. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh Paul was pretty pretty amazing, huh? To do to go from that extreme to the other. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean we give God a lot of credit for kind of, you know, Snapping and and, and get, knocking him upside the head, you know.
1: But he still <laughs> had to do it. Yeah, he did. The, I mean, just like will. the rest of us, man. You yep. know, you get the exposure, you get the conversion, but you you got to walk it out, and that's right. that's what makes oh, it. yeah. Challenging.
0: The most challenging part. All right, so you have seats in the Redbird Roost. And you can invite a handful of people that have had a huge influence in your life to experience the final World Series game between the Cardinals and the Cubs, known as the
1: Route 66 Rivalry. Who would you invite and why? First of all, you need to let me know if you're going to talk about the Cubs in advance. That that was problematic, (laughs) what you just did right there. And let me say this to anybody who hears this I can say this as a native of St. Louis who went to my first Cardinals game almost 50 years ago. I was actually happy for the cubs fans when they won the series because cubs fans are real fans Hmm. i was not happy for the cubs themselves but for the cubs fans but you know back going back in my life i do this a lot i guess because i'm a speaker and i'm always trying to get people to think about how to maximize things and one of my little personal philosophies is you give people their flowers before they die right? Mm-hmm. And you give them to them in great detail. So I have tried, man, to thank through a letter, through a phone call, through a lunch or dinner, everybody who has been magnificently meaningful to me. So if I was going to go back, the first one would be my swim coach, Philan Thomas, who actually tried out for the Olympics, didn't make it. So wound up being our swim team coach and coached us to the first we weren't on an all-black swim team. We had one white kid on the team, Kevin Hugh, who was actually my best friend. I feel like he thought my butterfly was prettier than his. I thought his was prettier than mine. But Flan took us to win a St. Louis Citywide meet when I was like 13. Paul Owens, who went from gym teacher to principal at my high school and totally transformed the spirit of the school. My two sort of big brothers in high school, a guy named Reggie Scott and Rob Partee. I actually followed them to college. And then my best friend in high school, a guy named Tony Edwards, who was like 6'3, 240 back in the day, was a parade all American, wow. played middle linebacker at Texas mm. in like 1981, 82, which oh, yeah. which, which which is just mind boggling. Um those would be some of the early ones, especially all you know, with those St. Louis connections. Yeah, yeah. Well,
0: maybe uh, you'll get to go to that game at some point. Right? Yeah. Our
1: lives are full of
0: ups and downs. Sometimes we might be up speaking in front of hundreds of people and literally collapse. The pressure is on, and you now have to get back up and finish the job. How are
1: you able to gain quick perspective and push ahead? So, you know, you're, you're talking about one of my moments in life, my probably most embarrassing I was, um, one of my enroll students was uh, student body president and he said, "Hey, Mr. Young, would you be our um, baccalaureate speaker? And I was like, man, heck yeah, I'd be honored, you know? So I went to do it, it was at White's Creek High School, I'll never forget it, it was May. And it was like the hottest May in the history of the world. And the AC in the gym had been out all weekend. So I walk in there on a Sunday there's like 800, 900 people in this gym for this baccalaureate. Everybody's just just soaking. So I get up. I get this great intro, man. And I start talking. And I start to sweat. I mean, I'm sweating like I'm in a sauna. I mean, I'm sweating. And the next thing I know, I hear, he's all right. He's all right. And I looked up and I said, did I faint? And they said, you, they said, yeah, you did. And I said, what? So I got up, they got me a little water, and I finished the talk, and it's kind of like I said a little minute ago, is I'm a very serious person, but I don't take myself so serious, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I got hot and I fainted, you know? Oh, well, you know, but I came here to do a talk, so I got up and um, did the talk. I fell off a stage a couple years ago. I had, uh was getting ready to, my goal was to... To be down with the people, Mm -hmm. right? So as I'm walking off the stage, I step on the top stair, and the stairs were not affixed Mm -hmm. to the stage. I flew off. Oh, gosh. Landed on my back on the stairs. And in the process, the, the motion of me coming off that stage was so strong, I ruptured my patella tendon. So they sat me up. They got me some water. They called an ambulance. But I finished the speech, you know, because I I had to lean on the table, and I just said, "Look, if I start if I, if I start leaning, that means I'm going. So somebody catch right, me." Right, right. But but I guess, man, like I said, I told a group of people this. I said I got called some stuff growing up in St. Louis, man. I would not I would not recommend anybody here. You understand what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Some of the things that I have been called and some of the things people have done to me. Compared to falling off a stage in front of 800 people, you know, they say people's biggest fear is speaking in front of a group. And Mm -hmm. I believe that, Andrew, because people are hateful sometimes, Mm -hmm. man. Kids are hateful. You know, four eyes, braces, fatty, you know, just, I mean, take your pick. And years of that, you'll never amount to anything. And you're black, you're white, you're whatever. All that stuff, man, just makes people afraid to be vulnerable. Right. Right. Right so my thing is man i'm here to help people if i mispronounce a word if i screw something up i just either say excuse me Mm -hmm. or i just keep going you know well yeah
0: i mean because you can find humor in something like that right name calling that aspect like it's just hard to make light of that you know um, I mean, you could have in a speech just said, "Hey, this is the importance of naps." Right. I just wanted one really quick. That's right. right but it was- I was actually, I was reading um, a couple of. Well, Michael Hyatt. I just got this full focus planner, um, and apparently he takes a nap every day. I'm mad at him. And do you take a nap by yeah. any chance? But there's like, I mean, they dropped quite a few, um, you know, big names in history that they take a nap after lunch like it might be 15 minutes i but think that's the importance of
1: it i don't do it often i rarely do it but it's always a beautiful thing
0: yeah yeah i i i'm not able to do it either but um yeah i like the and you know and i think that's the thing too the more vulnerable and transparent you are you're real anyways right so when life happens to you it's real that's exactly so right. it doesn't catch you off guard just you keep know what it I mean? you just roll with it um, I, I find it interesting. I made a post the other day, a transparent post about uh, uh, my wife and I, marriage and, you know, the the journeys of that. And, um, and I ask her. A lot of times I'll post something and she's just like, oh, gosh, like you put it all out there. Right. You know? But I had to respect this time to say, hey, what do you think? You right. know And she actually thought on it, you know, because she's like, that takes it a little bit deeper, you know. Yeah. Um, but. Man, the the response, mm-hmm. and because that was my my thinking is like, hey, I'm not putting this out there to be like, because actually, if people read some of my posts, they'd be like, dude, man, when are you gonna actually make the change? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you talk about like Year three, this moment, <laughs> you know. Hilarious. And uh, but that's you know, it's like putting it out there, and that's what I was telling her. I was like, you never know how just something like this erasing the stigma of marriage counseling, right? You know, how somebody could be, you know, on on the cliff and be like okay well maybe we should
1: you yeah. know i mean you no, never that's know that's good so i just I, I, was, I agree i was in a coincidentally a a, a marriage a couples get together the other day and somebody made what i thought was a very honest statement that as people man we it's the way i see it is sort of like we want to look up to people mm-hmm. but we don't want to feel like people are better than us mm-hmm. right and so seeing that somebody else has problems, it's like, whew, oh, man, thank God. I thought we were the only ones, right? And I have just always felt that the the enemy, and I know a lot of people hear things like the enemy and the devil, and they don't believe in that, and that's cool. But I believe the enemy's greatest strategy is isolation. Mm-hmm. When he can get you Alone in your thoughts. When he can get you, where you're the only person experiencing this, right? Um, you know, I i did not know Anthony Bourdain. I did not know Kate Spade. I I, I didn't know them. I just knew them from the outside looking in. But I just wondered to do what degree they isolated themselves mm-hmm. and they just began to feel, man, I'm the only, you know, megastar, multimillionaire who right? And if if maybe somebody could have gotten in there with them. So that notion of, you know, hey, you know, we're all human beings, so the definition is people who screw up, people who don't have it all together, Mm -hmm. people who... Got a lot of gaps. That's that's what we are. You know, right. People will be talking, Andrew, and they'll say, "Well, you know, I'm not perfect." Well, why'd you tell me that? Because I already knew that. <laughs> I mean, really? Right. I mean, that's a wasted phrase. I mean, like, like I was really thinking you were. Oh, that's right. That's right. You. Yeah. yeah right, right.
0: Right. Well, and I think you know, even as you say that, I think the importance as you rise to whatever level you're going, um, make sure you have that group of accountability people to that one you're really being honest and real with. Yep. So then when you get to the top and you know people know where you're at and how you got there and your faults and falls and so you don't have a problem reaching out to them, you know, because if not if you're kind of going there by yourself you know, you're leaving them here, and then you're once you're up here, you just like are so embarrassed to reach out to people going, "Hey, look, I'm having these thoughts or whatever." You know,
1: that's good. Um, yeah, you Tiger know? Woods, I think, in my opinion at least, is a good example of that because you know, Tiger was like, "Okay, so I'm either the best or the second best person to do what I do ever." Just just let that just soak in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, really, man, you're, really to think I'm possibly of all the people in history who have done this thing the best ever just what that would do to your right. mindset and your ego well I just remember when he went through all that stuff that was became very public you know he just basically said I was kind of in my own world right. in my own head and you know. And, of course,
0: nobody can even relate to that, really, no. right? Because There's like 10 go, people in the world. Yeah. Michael yeah. Jordan
1: could probably relate, yeah. you know. Uh. I mean, because
0: it is, it is interesting because you sit back, you go, God, dude, you had it all. And then you go screw up and you do this. It was like, one, I screw up all the time, but I don't have a platform like <laughs> that. But, but, yeah, two, to just go, man, you know. You you need a grace that you don't even understand in that scenario because that's right.
1: You're yeah. I mean that is kind of interesting. To just think. imagine. Just yeah. Just seriously, man. Imagine if everywhere you go, people know you. Yeah. That's right it, everywhere. Just yeah. Just that alone. I'm in I'm in the airport in Beijing. Tiger, tiger. I'm, you know, at. I don't know, I'm at Whole Foods, and we saw Keith Urban going into Whole Foods, and I told my son, go talk to him, go talk to him. And he ran in there, my son went, and I said, you talk to him? He said, yeah. I said, what'd you say? <laughs> my son said, I said, hello, Mr. Urban, you know, I'm a real fan of yours. And he said, well, hello, little fella. <laughs> All right, you know, but oh, yeah. you go everywhere, man. Yeah, yeah. And never have any anonymity. I can, would, get, I can get anything I want. That would, that would get old, I would think. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, definitely. Definitely, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> which you kind of alluded to social media a bit, but social media can be a great tool to help many people. It can also be very dangerous in many ways. I think people are starving for authenticity and vulnerability. If you were about to go live on Facebook and share a few struggles to help others know they are normal and not alone
1: in this life, what would you share? You know, I think one of the biggest things I would share is overcoming any kind of trepidation around where you're from. Um, I never really felt bad finding out that we were quote-unquote poor, we were in a housing project, until I started having to deal with people who were looking down at me, Mm -hmm. right? So I had to either find a way to get over them or get over myself, which I did pretty quickly. But I know that's a big issue, man, that we just feel bad because of what our upbringing or our roots were. You know, being a person who grew up in a a single-parent home and feeling that, man, I don't have a dad. And, you know, I'm I'm going to events at my school, for instance, where I'll never forget we had father-son banquet sophomore year. And I I just wasn't going to go because I was just embarrassed. Mm Mm-hmm. Not that I should have been embarrassed, but I'm just saying I was, right? Right. So that's another one, man, for me where I I would want to encourage people to look at the blessing of their family versus what they might see as some negatives or some non-traditional elements, right, of the family. Those would be the big ones. One of the thoughts I've been working on a lot lately is, and I want you to really think about this, in our American vernacular, We say statements like, um, for instance, there's a Modelo beer commercial recently. And the commercial is about this real strong, elegant, powerful Latina. And she became a fighter pilot. You probably have seen it. I don't recall. And in the commercial, the narrator with this great baritone voice says, Julia Hernandez, or whatever her name is, couldn't become a fighter pilot because she was a woman. No, no, that's not the reason. Because she actually was a fighter pilot as a woman. She didn't become a fighter pilot because people in the Air Force were sexist. Idiots. Right. You know, that person was not able to get that job because he was black. No, 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 no. Him being black mm, wasn't the problem. Right. It's the people hiring were racist. That You see where I'm going right, with Right, right. And if you were to think, Andrew, how many... Hundreds of thousands of times you and I have either said, read, or heard where what the person is is the reason they didn't get the opportunity. And it puts all the emphasis on what we are versus the weakness or gap or sickness in somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So that would be probably a third one is where people have felt, well, I didn't get that job because I'm old. I didn't get that opportunity because I have a physical handicap. No. No. You didn't get that job because the person who had the power to give it to you chose to discriminate. Mhm. Chose to focus on what they thought was opposite them. Right. So there'd be a lot I think I could maybe say to people in that regard. So
0: how do you overcome that? Cuz like I said and I think I'm like, you know, it obviously depends on where and, and maybe I'm saying this, which is kind of exactly what you're saying is like, well, I mean, I didn't grow up in an environment to, that had money or, you mm-hmm. know, I, I just had a strong work ethic, um, it, which is really funny because I had a strong work, work ethic. But I always did just enough to get by. <laughs> interesting. I funny. mean, in college, you That's know. funny. And even like, yeah, I mean, it is I had it at is the g- ready work ethic. Yes, yes, I had a, I always worked. I will worked. Keep, but
1: if I need now, to. No, it was interesting
0: because if it was like, man, if I had this, a manufacturing job, like a warehouse, I worked at UPS, like, man, I would sling those boxes. Yep. And it was just, it was more of a competition, I think, there. Um, but anyway, so, because like I think about, just the job changes i've done or get getting into real estate or doing this yep you know i mean i just came out with this idea it was a being around people that are doing impactful yep. stuff and it's just ideas and god gave me this creative brain to put it together um so i don't i've never looked at um, a scenario like that like i can't do it i'm like i've never done a podcast well, let's figure it out do research right you know so you know what makes that difference in say my mindset of just no fear go forward versus people they get hung up on. Or do you think they get hung up on when they have
1: that perspective that I couldn't do that because I was racist you, you know n- what I mean? No, what you just said to me, and my, again, this is just one guy's opinion, is when people see discrimination happen 8,000 times, they just sort of figure, well, it's probably going to happen to me. When they see racism, sexism, fill in the blank ageism, whatever ism you want to throw in there. People start to figure. Well, I have a lot in common with that group, so more than likely, it's going to happen to me. And you know, I, I I would say to anybody who has overcome that, to be a champion for other people, right? Mm-hmm. Because that that that's what people need, man. They they it's kind of similar to what we talked about a second ago. They need to see somebody like them. Who said, you know what? They said no, they said no, and they said no, not because of my blank, but because of their weakness, their gap, their ignorance. But I just kept going. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I, I like your question because I do think sometimes people want to know you can relate. Right to what their issue right. is. Right. Before, even though you and I may say the same thing, yep. right? Yep. Somebody who more relates with some things from your background just might listen to you quicker than they would me. So right. that's why I would say, anybody who can encourage folks, based on what they have overcome, ought to do it. Mm-hmm. In my van, from my vantage point.
0: Which is part of your testimony, right? Pretty your much story. So you know, be willing to share it. All right. So a uh, a, a quick shout out. So this is something new I'm throwing in here. I I just shared shared with you about. So a shout out, what's one of your favorite
1: restaurants and one of your favorite nonprofits and why? So my favorite restaurant hands down is Chili's. And the reason why is when I was back in the day, I worked at the Federal Reserve Bank in internal audit. So I would wear my little Brooks Brothers suit and this was in the, this was in the days of the power tie. I know if you got any millennials, I'm sorry, but, but just just back <laughs> in the day. Was it the day, big tie? Like, not real okay. big. It was just the just a big, big bold, right, yellow, right. big, white, bristling shirt, right? Your blue suit, mm-hmm. right? So I would work all day at the Fed, and then I would need to work on my material before my comedy set. So there was a Chili's right across the parking lot from the comedy shop, Stanford and Sons Comedy Club in, in Kansas City. So I would go to Chili's, work on my material, go do my set, do my thing. Well, when I moved to Nashville, I was working for Inroads, and I was having real writer's block on a pretty big assignment. And I just I asked somebody, I said, "Is there a Chili's restaurant around here?" And they said, "Yeah, there's one on West End." And I am not exaggerating, man. It was, I mean, I was like Chaucer, Thoreau. I mean, it all just started flowing, Shakespeare, right? It just started flowing, man. And there was a waitress, Pam, uh, Pam Brown, and she was my waitress for literally, 27 years. Wow. And she retired a few years ago. In Nashville. In Nashville. That's but, awesome. But Chili's is my, Chili's is the food, the, 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 I'm, rust is my favorite color. So their whole color scheme is like chips my favorite color. You can't beat the chips and salsa. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. and Chili's it was really good back spot.
0: in college because the chips and salsa was free. Free back then. And then back the, in yeah, the day. yeah, yeah. You yard. cheap college yeah. kids.
1: All right. All right. The pee.
0: How about nonprofit?
1: Man, I I got a lot of love for a lot of nonprofits. Right now, where my focus is, is at Nashville State. In my 28 years in town, I have always been a fan of Nashville State Community College because I've been able to kind of look behind the curtain and see the great work that they do. Now, as a board member, uh, I will tell you, the quality of work we do the quality of students we have and help is, is is outstanding, and I'm very excited because we have a new president, Dr. Shawna Jackson, and our board chair, Joey Hatch, who is recently retired from Skanska Construction. They are a dynamic duo, and I know that here in the next three to five years, Middle Tennessee is going to see what has always been great about Nashville State. but um, I'm really excited because Nashville State wants to make sure that students, especially those who economically can't quite cut the mustard, get everything they need to cut the mustard, right? Mm-hmm. And that's probably one of my favorite elements of what we're trying to do. But but Nashville State cool. is is, uh, is where my focus is right now. Gotcha. Good deal. Making an impact on the board too, right? That's it. In
0: one of my favorite movies, Andy Dufresne states, I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living or get busy dying. That's it. Reality is that choice does not always come easy for some because they let fear hold them back um, from really living. If fear has someone paralyzed, how can they break free?
1: Yeah, that, you know, that movie, Godfather is my favorite movie of all time. And uh, Shawshank is too and I think I've seen it 17 times
0: <laughs> I don't know how many but like I'm because it's so it's funny and don't forget the question I asked right. you but as I'm reading it is I can't remember where I found some of the stuff right but I think i remember reading it going yes because
1: that's my favorite movie yeah. and
0: it's one that it's so funny it's three hours long yet it
1: doesn't feel like it you can keep watching yeah, it yeah. over and well, over well I think like I, my opinion about that movie is it's very realistic. Yes. Meaning that's how you think people get down in real life. Mhm. in in many institutions, not just prisons, but in this case in prisons. But I think the other thing is he doesn't overcome like in a 30-minute show. Oh, I mean right. his overcoming is painstaking, right? I mean he man he earns that thing, right? And then to know he's innocent you feel kinda good when he kinda gets back at the system. You don't right. you don't feel as bad because you know he didn't deserve to be anyway, I could talk about that movie oh, forever, yeah, Matt. And then Morgan Freeman, I loved
0: how you know it's like it's like, oh all right, cool, great. He escaped, it's over. Nope. Nope. It's nope. That's that right. was the great That's thing right. is that it just kept going That's on, exactly and on right. to like the perfect best finish. Yeah, and the build up is awesome. On top of he, you know, they they are in the beach connected together again right. with their friendship but yet the warden and all of
1: them went down and it's, know, it's, it's awesome. i mean if you like revenge movies yeah it, it has that variable uh, as well so but yeah man to
0: overcome fear
1: you know everybody's got different fears for different reasons and the the couple things I would say is one, I think Andrew all of us desire people we can trust with our fears our gaps, our limitations. And if I say this to Andrew, is he going to still be cool with me? Mm. Or is he going to look down his nose or he's going to stop returning my phone calls? So the first thing I would say is where you discern, and I'm really serious about discern, Mm -hmm. that somebody will be a trusted friend when you talk about your fear. I just think that's step one is really getting yourself Connected with somebody or some people that you can at least talk about it, right? Right. You know, the Bible talks about that God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if you are feeling fear, that's not something God wants for you. You you, you know, that's not a good Mm -hmm. thing. Right. So secondly, it's almost like know that fear is not something that you and I should be even experiencing if possible, Right. And then I I'm, I am don't know, man, I'm just big on who's done it before, who walked through child abuse mm-hmm. and has come out on the other side, who's walked through losing a spouse, who's walked through thinking that cancer might take them out. Because I, 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 again, like we said earlier, I just feel like somebody who's walked through something similar to you. Right sometimes can offer a perspective nobody else can so those would be the things i would say and the fourth thing i would say to anybody man is some people don't believe this that you get what you say some people hmm. think that's just you know psycho babble motivational but i don't know man i mm-hmm. I, I longer i live I find that we tend to kinda of get what we focus on, mm-hmm. be it good or bad, so I would say to somebody to try to literally script or re-script themselves so that what they're saying on a regular basis mm. is about victory, about overcoming, about maybe not as strong as I'd like to be, but I sure am better than I was a year, right? That the language, the, the phraseology you use is all tending towards something positive.
0: Yeah. That's a lot deeper because I would have just said stop it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you got a fear. You Dude, quit the theater. Be brave. Um, well, no,
0: and it's interesting you say that that last one because whenever I made some, well, one when I jumped in real estate, and then I changed, um, I changed brokers within, and those are two big decisions. And one thing I do when I'm, you know, about to take on something that is new. I communicate it. I tell people, yep. "Hey, I'm doing this," yep. and it's it. And maybe it's that aspect that you're saying it aloud, so you're you're just you. You keep pointing yourself in a direction, um,
1: and it just kind of overcomes the fear because now, guess what? You've told everybody. Well, you got to follow through. Well, maybe my my thought is, you have a greater fear of failing in front of people. Then mm-hmm. you do a failing in front of yourself okay that's the way i would read what you just said right like if i just tell myself this i'll let myself down nine times out of ten but if i tell a gr- group of people yeah oh dog it's on now i got to make this thing come that's to pass.
0: that's a good point that's a good point i like that yeah because if i don't tell anybody and i fail, i'm like that's okay yeah,
1: that's right you know
0: yeah and i like some accountability um and I've always said, it's like, man, I need you to just beat me over the head with something, you know? So I know you have a lot going on. You probably have a lot of different opportunities presented to you. I am sure sometimes you are blinded by some of those shiny objects out there. How do you stay focused on
1: the task at hand? So one, some advice I got being, like I said, a subject matter entrepreneur, meaning, you know, I, I wasn't an entrepreneur naturally, so learning that has been a process that I say it's a process I'm still in. Some advice that I got from uh, Joe Calloway, who's a big-time motivational speaker, uh, mentor to me for many years, is pick your deal and stick with it. Uh, I know I can't tell you it's probably been 15 years or so, and I remember reading a Wall Street Journal article written by like the CMO, Chief Marketing Officer from Target. And in the article, he went through all these fancy-dancy things. But ultimately, he said, we ain't Macy's, we ain't Sears, we ain't Walmart, we ain't Kmart. We're Target. We're sticking with it. Deal with it. And Target is blown up, man. Right. And I just think there's something to be said for that. So that's some real good counsel that I got from him. And then we were, when we started our business, in the Nashville Business Incubation Center, Mm -hmm. which I would recommend to anyone who wants to start a business. NBIC and the director Angela Jones, she kept challenging us to not do something mm. different. Cause when you need income, I mean, it's like, hey, you, what you need your car washed? Did you, you, you say you need your car washed? Yeah. What? What? You need those mats vacuumed? You know, when you're looking for income, man, you you'll just do what you got to do, which is a good thing. But what she and what NBIC helped us understand is the more you do different things, nobody'll know what you do. Right. So we just had some good. And then we tried a couple of things that are not our bailiwick, but we thought it might be a good business opportunity. And we just didn't thrive, man. Mm -hmm. The time it took us to figure out all the fine point nuances. We could have done 10 more projects and what we're good. You know what I mean? Right. So actually having an experience at kind of failing at something that wasn't our bailiwick that I wish I'd had that earlier, but I'm glad I had it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's all kind of that, that balance, you know, um, because it's like it being in mastermind groups for the last three years, you get you can, you know, you open yourself up to opinions, advice, and you get so many. And then eventually you just got to pull back and like, all right, is that nope, nope, nope. let's stay on right. focus. That's know? right. But at the same time, be open to like with this, you know, when I'm doing some interviews, when I initially I had the like, I had like 10 questions, you know. Yep. And I was like, no, that's how I'm going to do it. I'm like, that's going to get boring. Right. You know, so now I'm like, all right, let's, let's kind of, because I was thinking, I'm like, if you're trying to get somebody's story, there's got to be some similarities in the questions you ask. Yep. But
1: dig into some details about them and make the questions fun you know no, but 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 i would say though andrew you you stayed in the same vein i mean you, mm-hmm. you you're just perfecting your craft right. when you didn't jump out and start doing you know guitar lessons and right. you know start yeah, like you know, you know what i'm saying
0: that's what that's actually what i'm doing after this just make like sure just if to you make pick up like on
1: it fifty dollars and it's hilarious i can, I can do basic. It. <laughs> like, this is c major all
0: right so uh it goes without saying you're making a big impact in this world Give
1: me a few examples of how uh, making an impact has really excited you. Oh, yeah, man. So I can can give you my favorite story of all time in this regard. So uh, when I was in college during the summer, I worked at a summer camp for kids from foster care, abusive, just wicked backgrounds, man. And this was, you know, basically 17 through 18, 19, 20 years old. And... What would happen is we get these kids for 11 days and 10 nights. And again, it's, you know, arts and crafts, swimming, nature walks, you know, s'mores. I mean, you know, it's it's camp, right? Mm -hmm. And at the start of the camp, we would get a file on each student with a little profile and their background and kind of what brought them to the camp. So at this point, I was what's called a unit counselor, meaning I went to a different group every day of the 11-day camp cycle. Right. And because again, God had really gifted me in being able to work with kids. Um, so one day I'd be with 14 year olds, the next day the 10 year olds, you name it. So anyway, I got the file on this group that I was going to be with twice because their actual counselor was out, the person who was with them the entire process. So they wanted me to work with them and they said, Hey, on his day off, will you work with him again? I said, You bet. So I read through the file, and there I saw a kid named Joe, I'll just make up a name. 14-year-old kid, white kid, whose family's income, now this is like nineteen is like nineteen eighty, man, was seventy grand a year. Which that's some good money, man, nineteen eighty. Yeah. Well, he had been a soccer player, a student, and then you just keep reading through his file, and he had attempted suicide once at twelve and once at thirteen. And now he was 14. And, Andrew, when I tell you, I, I, I just I have to give God the credit because what downloaded to me as I read that is, this kid is going to try to prove that you don't care about him. I'm, I, I'm just giving it to you straight, man. And your job is going to have to be, no matter what this kid says or does, you got to be unmovable and slowly inch into him to demonstrate that I care about you, not about... Right? Mm-hmm. So, sure enough, first day, you know, it's like 12, 14-year-old boys at camp, you know, trying to do one-upsmanship, you know, alpha male. And, man, he just starts going off. I don't want to be at this blanket camp. I don't want you as my... You black. Blah, blah, blah. He's going off on me. I'm talking about raw. And no matter what he said, man, it would be like, you know what? That's the same way I felt the first time I went to camp. And you're how old at I'm time? probably... 18. Okay. You know? Yeah. Uh, And again, he, I mean, he just bringing it. Nobody wants to do this stupid stuff. You know, I, man, I assault people. And he, he just would hit me with all this stuff. And I would say, Now, when you assaulted that person, did you do that like in the morning or at night? No matter what he said, man, I just came back with just, and by the end of the first day, he had totally shut that down. Mm. Well, when I would see him around the camp, on day two day three day four i'd always pull up next to him and say man are you over here hurting people today i would just make a joke about the stuff he had given me he was like no not at all yes you are just but well by the time i got to his group again i could not move and that kid now i mean if i took a step Mm -hmm. there he was so now it's the end of camp it's the last day of camp and this was kind of a it's you know bittersweet day because you've really helped these kids. You've gotten to know them. Everybody's getting back on their bus to go back where they came from. So I'm going from bus to bus saying goodbye. Have a great rest of the summer. And I get on this bus, man. And now it's, a, it's a 14-year-old boy, okay? And, man, that kid ran down the center of that bus and jumped up. hmm and whispered in my ear he said you're the first person to make me feel good about myself. Wow. I really hadn't topped that one yet, man. Yeah, i was with you.
0: That's I mean. awesome. Wow. And that 18. Uh, yeah, I mean so how did that shift your how did that shift your thinking at that? I mean, did it just to see how God can use you and impact others at such an early age, you know? Yeah. I mean, cuz you're still doing it now, right?
1: Yeah, I I just I mean, I'm just being honest, man. That's just how kind of I've always been. Mm. Like, I I don't even have any hobbies, man. Like, you know, people fly fishing, people bowl. I mean, I just speak, coach, train, consult, mentor, because that's all I really care about, man, is helping somebody else be great. And and you know I ain't perfect. Boom boom. Psst. Right. You know I thought you were. That's right. right. Oh dog on it. And I was going to ask you how are you so perfect? But I'll scratch that question. <laughs> That's right. You could leave that one off the list.
0: All right. So um, let's hit on the importance of networking and how you never know how a previous relationship will make a huge impact in a current situation. Share the story you shared with the young leaders group, if you don't mind. Which one? The um... about the
1: uh, march of dimes. Oh wow, bro. Um, so, in my opinion, life is all about relationships. And <clears throat> my wife and I had had um, three children, all born very healthy, and we realized that we were going to have a fourth, one, fourth child. And even the way it was kind of brought up, it was, it was a little, we could we could sense something was different. Even when my wife said, hey, I'm pregnant, right? So uh, I tried to go to every doctor's appointment for all four pregnancies. I didn't go to all of them, but I went to great like 85% of them because I just wanted to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. And we had a doctor's visit and our doctor said, uh, Derek um, Allison, uh, looking at your scores here, you are high risk for Down syndrome. And he said, I know you all and I know kind of what you stand for. So I know you're gonna probably move forward. He said, but we have these options to sort of get an idea and we said, we'll do everything up to amniocentesis. So we did two or three tests. Nothing revealed Down syndrome, but nothing was, you know, for sure. So he basically said, here's your due date. Uh, if the baby doesn't come by this time, I'm going to go ahead and have you just check into the hospital. So baby had not come by the time. We go to the hospital, and the person doing the ultrasound just started acting weird and saying i think after i do the ultrasound i want to send you all to the hospital we were like why would we go to the hospital we just did the ultrasound well i think i want to send you and then the person started telling us about her special needs son she said i don't Mm. usually talk to people but my son is 38 and he has special needs and she and my wife and i left going that was crazy man that was weird what was that so we get to the hospital they do the ultrasound again and the nurse says we're going to have to keep you here and we go what and they say you've run out of amniotic fluid mm. okay so now we know why because the woman because of the laws and of the land, right, she couldn't right. get into that with us so she actually saved our baby with that move right right wow. yeah so we're in the hospital long story short the next day uh, our daughter is experiencing fetal distress and thanks to a very courageous nurse, she basically stood up to the charge nurse and the doctor to say, We need to take this baby right now. Uh, they did a rush cesarean. Our daughter was born, and she initially was not breathing. She's like pale gray. And they eventually got her breathing. They transferred her from Baptist to Vanderbilt. And, you know, we all have seen the pictures of babies in those little incubators with tubes going in and out of mm-hmm. everywhere. So basically, Andrew, once they got her stabilized, I went and I set my vision. And I went to a computer and I said, she has Down syndrome. We don't know if she's going to live. But if she does live, I want her to be as high-functioning as any Down syndrome person I've ever seen. So the highest-functioning Down syndrome person I've ever seen was that kid from the ABC show, uh, Corky. Mm-hmm. Life goes on. So I Googled him. He's had a band, he's a spokesperson for down syndrome, so I said, that's my vision. Christiana is gonna be as awesome as that guy. And then man, I just I said I was going to go and I'm just being honest, just go have it out with the Lord cuz I was I was hurt. I was mad. Uh and I just said, I'm on the second floor. I'm gonna literally, I'm gonna get on the elevator. I had like an agenda of exactly what I was going to say, Lord. I have raised millions of dollars for the March of Dimes. And you let this happen to me? That was my first thing. Mm-hmm. That was literally going to be the first thing I said. Then I was going to say, all this stuff I've done to try to be a blessing to people? And you, I'm just, I just was being raw, man. And, Andrew, I get to the elevator. I got my agenda of my complaints. And off the elevator came Cheryl Major. And Cheryl at that time was the head neonatology nurse at Vanderbilt. And Cheryl is a person I met on the March of Dimes board. And you were on, how long were you on the March of Dimes board? Like five, eight, nine, ten years. Right. Okay. So she goes, Derek, oh my God, a baby girl young. I saw this. Is that your daughter? Yep man she walked me back to christiana's room and i felt like i was like in a movie you know i literally man we were walking and when the head neonatology nurse comes on the floor i mean it's like general you know what i mean mm-hmm. so we get back to the room all the nurses gather around and this is the verbatim i'll never forget this she said ladies this is Derek young you know what she said this man has raised millions of dollars for the march dimes you need to do everything in your power to help him If you can't help him, you call me on my cell phone, you call me in my office, you call me in my house. So now I'm feeling bad, right? And Christiana basically overcomes her condition, which was persistent pulmonary hypertension, which is what it was called. The doctor said it would probably take a month, and she overcame it in four days. She was breathing on her own, totally, and then she had to do several procedures. Well... Once we got the coast is clear call, I was in her room, and I was overhearing her doctor talk to some of the young docs on their rounds. And again, I'll never forget it. Mm-hmm. And he goes, "This is um, baby girl Christiana Young." He said she presented with persistent pulmonary hypertension. She also has Down syndrome. We did the forty assessments to see. And he starts going through all this stuff. He's now he's talk, he, and he didn't know I'm listening, man. I'm just in the room. And he says to them, he says, the key ingredient in saving her life was surfactant therapy. Well, surfactant therapy, Andrew, was discovered through March of Dimes Mm. Funded Research. Yeah. So I lost it. Right. And they're looking at me like, what's wrong with him? So... You know, that very complaint right. I was going to give God was the thing that saved my daughter's life, right. man. Which is so, which I, sometimes you say,
0: oh, that's so so funny. No, ironic is actually, as you said, that last part, I had forgotten about that, you yeah. know, because I mean, it's just awesome. in how just one making an impact and loving others, respecting others. You know, because all that ties into those relationships. That's right. I mean, if you're not doing that, that relationship, she would have been like, I don't know who you I don't with. know him. You know? Just
1: another patient
0: yeah. in and, the building. And then, so not only did that relationship have a key part and make you a priority, but then the fact that, you know, you helped never knowing of what you gave your time and money towards March of Dimes and how that, you know, saved your daughter. So yeah, that's I, pretty
1: awesome. One of the things I love about Nashville. And I've been blessed, man. I got a chance to work for Cal Turner at Dollar General. And I got a chance to sit on a board, the Symphony Board with Martha Ingram. And I've done a lot of work with HCA over the years, which is the Frisk family. One of my favorite things about Nashville is the wealthiest people in this town are the most giving people. And Nashville is all about giving, man, and and helping folk, right? And I just, I just, that was just an example where you know, you've you've heard whatever you sow, that you will also reap. Yeah, that's where that just. (laughs) Maybe that is that um, a life changer. The volunteer state.
0: It's just a natural thing that we tie into because you know you do hear um, so many people talk about how kind Nashville is, and I think even as I think cool thing about Nashville too is we are getting a little bit more cultural diverse. Yeah, true. You know, and so it's like keep on being friendly yep you might not say bonjour that's right but you know say hi
1: that's right
0: y'all y'all that's um, it. all right if uh, someone in the audience is thinking of jumping into the motivational speaking
1: what advice would you pass along um, three things I would say one is create an umbrella concept message or category that you want to speak on right and 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 that would be one and then secondly, Try to create four messages within that umbrella. So if it's customer service, message one might be serving angry customers. Message two might be developing a great attitude to serve well. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Create your umbrella and then four messages. And then with those four messages, what I always recommend is you, this is my own term, you accordion those message messages, meaning you take every message you have and you make it an elevator pitch, a 15-minute keynote, a 30 minute keynote, a 60 minute keynote, and then if you do training, like I also do speaking and training, a two or four hour workshop. So you can take all four of those messages. Mm-hmm. And then thirdly, you gotta let everybody know that knows you know that you are a speaker. Mm-hmm. Because people get to know you for what they've known you for, right? Right. So if right. you were a real estate guy, right. you what? You're speaking, Andrew? What? Yeah. So you got to let everybody yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the fourth thing I would say, and this is Joe Calloway's advice to me, something like twenty-something years ago, speak at everything. You may hmm. you may have to do a lot of free stuff before you can do fee stuff, but nothing beats stage time. It's kind of like they were saying with the preseason with football, basketball. You could you could practice by yourself and do pretty well when you mm-hmm. get amongst other people. Baseball, tennis, but football you got to play football. Right, right. And I think speaking is very much like that.
0: Yeah, I like that. We have a guy in our mastermind group, and he's. You know, we had a retreat and he's all about speaking and you can tell there's still some fear in there but I'm going to have to definitely say hey listen to this because I like that I like the accordion aspect of it you know with all these years of experience and knowledge if you can go back to your 20 year old self what are a few words of wisdom you would pass along in regards to parenting marriage
1: or business me at 20 I would have given my life to Christ much earlier because I was just out there kicking it and hanging like a lot of people do and that would be the, that'd be first and foremost uh, Secondly I would say be as solid as the person you want to marry I think I did that but I think most people in my opinion at least in my view they're looking for some great person but do they challenge themselves to be as great as they want the other person to be so I would mm-hmm. I would have been more on that tip big time. As far as business goes, I would say start a business early. Having your own business. To me, it's one of the most American things a person can do is having their own business. And regardless of how big or small it is, it's yours. Mm -hmm. And it's where your passion gets to come alive in the way you decide versus at your job. See, your boss and your leadership, sometimes sometimes they have more say-so on how you're going to execute on your passion. But when it's your thing, Mm -hmm. it's on you, right? Um, and the other thing I would say is, as a kid who grew up without a dad, I was not accustomed to seeking mentoring. Mm. And um, my wife, early in our marriage, she was she was saying that she maybe saw me as a little arrogant and things like that. And I was really hurt by that because I was like, I'm, I don't think I'm here. What I was was I was scared mm. I didn't have a real – I want you to think about this, Andrew. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a real sit-down, one-on-one, man-to-man conversation that I reached out for until I was 28. Wow. So those would be the things I'd do. Yeah,
0: I like that. Definitely the, the mentoring and the coaching. Like, I think within – because we've always gone, since we've lived in Nashville, Two Rivers. Yep. Now the Fellowship. But – and we always had a men's group. Yep. So, you know, you kind of dug at some realness. Yep. You know, to some degree. Um, but, yeah, I think I, I think because I was always seeking that male-like camaraderie. Sure. Because my dad really wasn't, you know. He was in the pitcher summers. Right. And he was half there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so, like, I think I always kind of – I had that connecting part. I hear you. But then it was, you know, diving into these mastermind groups and, and even – even being in it, seeing how, man, if you just in that moment are like, all right, I'm going to be real. I'm going to lay this out there. Yep. And then you realize there's like seven, seven other guys doing it. Like, Yo,
1: dude, yeah, that was me like, two years ago. That's, yeah, that's oh, where man, I am right now. It, I know. Isn't it yep. cra-
0: Like, it's just, it's crazy. All right. So from the great words of Paul the Apostle in Second Timothy, Timothy 4.7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race.
1: I have kept the faith. When your journey's over, what legacy are you hoping to leave? Man, I've been saying this a long time. It's it's simple and it's deep, I guess. But I told my kids when I'm gone, and I've already decided me and my wife are going to go out like James Garner and Ellen Bernstein in the notebook. That, that's already, we're going to be 117 gotcha. years old. Yeah, That's but, awesome. Yeah, dog. but he knew God. He was a great husband. He was a great father. And everybody that met him is better for it. Mm. That's it. That's it, and you gotta you kind of gotta love people in order for that all to kind of to line up. Kinda, right?
0: <laughs> right? Just a little bit. Well, that's cool, Derek. Well,
1: man, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, hang out with me in the yeah. Rambler. Well, let me tell you something, Andrew. You are you are outstanding, man. Appreciate the it. The level of preparation, the thoughtfulness, and the structure of the questions, the sincerity of your approach, the willingness to let the person really answer the question. You're awesome, dude. And I wish you the best, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it.
0: So tell the audience where they can find you.
1: Best way to find me is my website, www.derekyoungspeaks.com. D-E-R-E-K, youngspeaks.com. And, again, keynotes and consultings for organizations. They want to change their culture yeah
0: I love that I would love to see I always thought it'd be cool to be I'd I wanted to do like management consultant yep. where I'd go into a warehouse and kind of look at everything and then get it more efficient yep. and you know it's it's interesting to see the cultural part of that's like, right which is a lot more detailed because you're changing people you exactly right yeah you know yeah so well that's great so I'm uh, I'm, I'm going to host Diane Hayes tomorrow <laughs> we'll see how that goes right that'll be great alright thanks Derek alright buddy That was such a fun and insightful interview with Derek. I am sure you will agree. I'm very thankful that he spoke at one of the young leaders' classes that I went to, and I had recalled him when wanting to reach out to someone that was making an impact in Nashville and hear their stories. You'll probably want to listen to that one again to pull out a few nuggets Make sure to tune in next week to hear Anthony Billups. Anthony is the owner of Music City Murals and has painted murals all around Nashville. Part of his story consisted of him going blind for a few days and how that made such an impact on his life. He is a local singer-songwriter as well and organizes the Germantown Art Crawl. He shares about how great his little brother is and how his brother's special needs have made such an impact on people's lives. Thanks again for tuning in to Nashville Untold. And if you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe, share with your friends and family, and also leave a review. Make sure to check out the show notes for more details on Derek Young and ways you can connect with him or even hire him as a speaker. Now stay tuned for a song that Melinda Edlin wrote. If you have not picked up on it by now, I'm a realtor in Nashville with Buckwalter Impact Group of Benchmark Realty. And obviously, I sponsor this show. You can reach me at 615-973-7657 for any real estate needs in the Nashville and surrounding areas, or if you are looking for a realtor in your market. Other sponsors of the show are Brandon Hutchison with Legacy Mutual Mortgage, and he would love to help you with any lender needs. He can be reached at 615-866-9468. And lastly, if you have any title or closing needs, give David Weber with Limestone Title and Escrow a call at 615-730-7955. They close anywhere and anytime at no additional cost.
3: This song is called Miracle Worker. Met someone and I thought that we had a chance. Riverside late at night as he held my hand, fell in love underneath a silver moon. Even then. out on the pain. Better off if nobody knows my name. Freedom rings even though it's a heavy price. Sometimes I'd rather pay than look my demons straight in the i Next one, five.
2: you've enjoyed listening to nashville untold with andrew buckwalter we
0: encourage you to leave us a rating or review on itunes and be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a
1: single episode to be a guest on the show or to share your thoughts send us an email to podcast at andrewbuckwalter.com until next time